Hey guys, this is Ryan Akers, the host of Simmering Thoughts, and I have a request for you before we begin this episode. Please take the time to go to the North American Mission Board website, uh, specifically the one that is called Send Relief, sendrelief.org. And as you're there, click on the Hurricane Relief tab. In the last month, two major hurricanes have hit the United States, and there are folks that are in need. And Send Relief brings that need. They feed folks. They help repair homes. They help repair roofs. They help get all the gunk out of the inside of the houses. Between the hurricanes themselves and the flooding that followed, there are a lot of needs. One of the things I like most about Send Relief is that they take the gospel with them as they serve. So as folks are in need, they're helped, they're given the gospel, and there is a great deal of work done for the Lord. And I pray that you will support those efforts, first of all, in your prayer, second of all, with your cash and with your money, and thirdly, if you can at all, with your time. So go to sendrelief.org, sendrelief.org, and help out as best you can in whatever way you can. Thank you so much. Let's begin this episode of Simmering Thoughts. This is Simmering Thoughts with host Ryan Akers, where we lift the lid and sample slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. We hope you will take the time to send us feedback about what you think about this episode and our past episodes. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Simmer Thoughts. On Instagram, you can also find us at simmeringthoughts.podbean.com. You can also find us on many podcast catchers. Please, if you could, take the time to rate and review us as well. Thank you for listening. Settle in and enjoy. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. Uh, my name is Ryan Akers, and I'm the host of the program. Today, we do have another co-host joining us as a guest. This is Hannah Anderson. She is an author and a pastor's wife and a whole lot of other things, and I'm not going to try to explain all that. I'll let her do that. But she uh, has recently released a book called All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. And as we're looking at the different seasons in the life of a believer, I uh, wanted to take a moment and and address this book specifically because discernment is very much something, uh, not really a season so much as a, an everyday occurrence and something that we need to be prepared for. And so I wanted to take a moment and look at it in that light of a normal event in the life of a believer should be discernment. So before we jump into all that stuff, I do want to let Hannah have a chance to introduce herself. Welcome to the program. We are glad to have you. Thanks so much, Ryan. It's great to be here. Um, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you online, and we've been actually working toward this for quite a while. So listeners, um, you should feel blessed that this finally came together. Uh, we've been chatting back and forth to figure out when uh, we could get together to talk, and I'm glad it came together today. I very much am. I think the first time I sent you a note to see if you might come on was like round episode two or three, which would have been a year ago. Uh, which was a different topic I was thinking about at the time, and that still may end up being a series coming up shortly. Uh, but I think this is a better place to start, and so I'm glad I kind of waited on that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, with discernment, 
uh, I, I'm. This is a book that that had challenged me uh, a great deal, and it, it's discernment is something that's challenged me for a long time in terms of um, where to turn my attention in the course of my life. And so I, I think what I want to do is the the word discernment often has some negative connotations to it. And so want to kind of look at the idea of what is con- what is discernment? Why is there all this confusion over what discernment is and what it is not? Yeah, and I'm glad you situated it from the beginning as part of a normal Christian life because I think sometimes we can begin to see discernment as this extrasensory perception, right? It's like something that some people have or it's this, um, you know, knowing the truth, quote unquote. And as I studied and I started to explore the, the way the scripture speaks about discernment and wisdom, it actually goes hand in hand with our spiritual growth. It is another way to think about the sanctification of our mind or the maturing of our decision-making. So it is very much embedded within our our spiritual life and our spiritual transformation. But I also found that as I was beginning to write and I talked to people um, about what I was doing, they did not have that natural connection to discernment. Um, They tended to see it as, um, like I mentioned, something that this extra special knowledge that you have. So I would say, oh, yeah, I'm working on my next book. And then what's it about? It's about discernment. Oh, I can't wait to read that because I have this decision I need to make and I really want to know the right answer. Um, or I'd mention it to someone else and they'd say, oh, I know so many people lack discernment today because they don't know what are the right ministries or the right teachers or the right people to listen to. And so in some people's minds, discernment was these specific tribal boundaries um, that Mm -hmm. if you were a discerning person, you would stay within a certain context. Um, I think for some people, it means something like withdrawing from the world, you know, that that difference between sacred and secular. And so discerning Christians um, are in these religious or sacred spaces. That's where their life plays out. So they've, they've kind of pulled back into these religious communities. I think um, as well for some people, discernment has a level of insider knowledge, not just higher knowledge, not just like this spiritual Gnosticism, but for some of us, discernment means I know the secret truth. Mm -hmm. So if you think about um, conspiracy theories or that one piece of information or data that unlocks the Bible, that's how some people view discernment. It, it's this knowledge that's hidden away from everyone else, but you have it, so you're discerning. So one of the first things that I really ran up against in even addressing this topic is it seemed like readers and Christians all had a very different definition of what the word even meant, and they were functioning within those definitions differently. Um, and so from the start, as I was researching and writing and learning myself, I had to land on a definition that felt um, biblically true, but also made sense in 
relationship to our spiritual formation, that there had to be some kind of inherent link to the gospel and the fact that Christ was changing us. Um, and so as I began studying the scriptures, two passages really kind of unlocked and began to unpack that for me. And one was Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul uses um, the frame that our minds are being renewed um, so that we can discern the good, perfect, acceptable will of God. So the idea that something about our minds and our hearts being transformed um, so that we can see or discern more clearly. So that had to be a component of how we understand discernment, that, that something about us is being changed. And the second passage was in Hebrews where it talks about um, the mature have their senses exercised to know the difference between good and evil, to discern the difference between good and evil. So that gave me the component that discernment is really a, not some kind of hidden secret knowledge or some tribal boundaries. It's just the capacity to recognize what's good in the world and what's not so that we can pursue and partake of the good. So between those two passages, um, I came up with, um, I, I'm offering a definition of discernment. That is, we are having our minds and our hearts transformed by seeking goodness, and we're developing um, a spiritual, spiritually we're developing, but we're developing an instinct for what's good in the world around us as part of our own redemption, but as God's larger work of redemption. Yeah, the 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 idea of separating the the discernment of of drawing boundaries around things from it actually being something where you are looking at two things or looking even at one thing and weighing what it is instead of of writing it out just automatically, but actually to weigh it and to to measure it against what the word says. Uh, I think of, uh, and I know it's probably way out of context. My mind isn't fully aware this morning, but uh, uh, you know the the idea of the the phrase that says, "But we have the mind of Christ." And I think so often in the context of discernment, we don't rely on that mind of Christ to direct what choices we make, and instead we rely on uh, things that have been given to us traditionally. And I think a lot of what is perceived as discernment is a cultural uh, measurement as much as anything else. And, and that culture comes from a lot of different places and a lot of different directions. But, but that that really focuses us away from the word and toward just reflex um, instead of instinct, it's reflex. And those two, those two are different things. One is responding um, through training and habit. And the other is responding because you just, it's just like a knee jerk. You just, you just, that's what you respond with because it's what's uh, built in. And, and I think that having that, that trained response, it, there's a difference in uh, mental preparedness. There's a difference in spiritual preparedness between that and, and the fleshly instinct, the fleshly reflex that we have. Yeah, and I think that's one of the um, pressure points that I felt um, very clearly in writing the book was that so many of us have been trained in reflex 
kind of decision making. Um, we've either been handed certain traditions or we've been handed certain boundary lines and we've set we've been told stay within this and you'll be okay and if you see something bad go away from it um, and the thing that I found um, difficult about that paradigm is it may be able to protect you for a bit but with each generation <laughs> those boundary lines change and the movements change and so if you disciple people into don't do this stay away from this group only only work in this context only have these cultural choices and decision making you know even like issue oriented decision making mm -hmm. um, not only have you set them up to be lost when all of the cultural artifacts change you know, what if something new comes along and someone hasn't given you a rule about? Well, you don't have the capacity to make a decision about it. Um, it may be good, it may be bad, but you don't know because it's something new and no one told you how to think about it. Um, and the boundary lines change. You know, our social context is constantly morphing, especially in the digital age. Um, we are in a completely different society than we were 10 years ago even though we all exist in the same places maybe that we did 10 years ago, the context around us has shifted dramatically. And so not only does rule-based or reflexive-based decision-making hinder your ability to confront new challenges, um, you also haven't learned the spiritual formation or the virtue and you've not been changed. So if we've spent all of this time um, teaching one thing that means we didn't spend time teaching something else like we couldn't and I think that was what was most striking to me about kind of thinking through this question analyzing um, you know our context and evangelicalism and I realized that a lot of us may have come to the place where we recognize that reflexive or rule-based um, decision-making is not discernment and, and that's a good first step but just coming to that conclusion cannot um, equip us with the knowledge and the virtue we need to make good decisions so it's one thing to say I've been making my decisions in an unhealthy way but you've also got to learn how to make decisions mm -hmm. in a healthy discerning way I think that's a, a big important part of it. And it you know, it's not like somebody comes to you and lays their hands on your head and ordains you a discerning person uh and says, You have discernment now. Uh and and you know, that, that somebody hits you upside the head and suddenly you can make all great decisions. And I, I think so often we forget that it is a training. Uh, I think back to my my training as a musician and my training of musicians as a teacher, and uh, I think about teaching musicianship. You know, I, I've had a lot of kids who could, you know, they would play and it just, they hit all the right notes. They, they played it correctly, but it, there was stuff missing. There's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of expression and there's a lot of personality that comes with, with making music. And if you just follow the rules as the rules are written and you think of the rule as a, as being a pencil width, um, then you miss a lot in music because in, in music, honestly, the rules are typically not pencil width. They're more like, you know, fairway of a golf course width. And you've got a lot of room to maneuver 
You know, forte means loud. Yeah, but what does loud mean? Loud is everything from medium loud to very loud. Well, there's a lot of range in there. And, and that idea of being discerning as we, as we make choices uh, and, and learning in places to make choices in, in simple things, to make choices in, in safe places, to practice and to mess up and to learn so that when the time comes for you to be on your own, when the time comes for you to be on that stage by yourself, making choices in performance, now you have a background to make choices from. And it's not just me uh, coming by and, and teaching you all of the dictionary definitions of words and saying, here, do it this way. That doesn't, that doesn't develop a musician. And I think a lot of times how we teach discernment through the church is a similar idea. Here's what discernment is. Here, let me give you the rule book. You do all of this and you will be a discerning person. And, it, and, and we lose something there. So, so discernment clearly requires something of us. And it clearly, um, from scripture, is something we have to go seek. It's not something we can just sit back and, and absorb. So why is that? Why do we need to go seek it? And what does it require of us once we, once we figure out how, what that we need it? What's, what's the requirement? Yeah, I think that was another um, challenge to the writing process and my own learning process is that discernment does require the pursuit of goodness and the pursuit of wisdom. It's not just this passive downloading of rules or boundaries, but in some way, it's more difficult to actually engage in the pursuit because what you are setting yourself up for is to be changed yourself. You know, when I think of your um, illustration of musicians and their growth, it's easier in some respects to just follow the pattern. But to become um, a musician who even has an individual style or has an individual sound or voice, that requires um, a growth and a maturation on the part of the individual be able to enter into the music a certain way to be able to make decisions within that breath and I think a lot of us that's just a scary thing <laughs> um, it is hard to um, not have the boundaries to take the training wheels off um, mm-hmm. because I think we also are really scared of the mistakes um, we, we don't want to fail which is completely understandable but I think some of that is because we're not safe in the grace of God. Um, so we don't sin so that grace may abound, but we also know that we are not um, fully sanctified. No, we're not perfect people. Um, we have to go through this process of learning. And what, what that process looks like is as we are pursuing goodness as the scripture defines it, as we're seeking out truly good, truly virtuous things, um, we're going to be confronted by our own lack of virtue. It's going to challenge us. So for a majority of the book, I use the grid that Paul um, offers in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, where he calls believers to um, pursue whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever um, is of good report. And within that framework, Paul is offering up these virtues. This is what goodness looks like. If you want to go find goodness, you want to become a discerning person, um, 
here are the markers of truly good things. But the problem with that is, as you begin to pursue those things, um, and you begin to question what is truth, what looks, not just looks true, but what actually is true, mm -hmm. it confronts your own falsehood, and it confronts you, um, and it also beautifully leads you back to Christ, to his truth himself. And so built into the very process of trying to come to a truthful decision is the transformation of the individual. And that is a much harder thing than saying, well, I know which news sources are true. You know, I know which voices are speaking truth to me. So I'm going to just cordon off certain um, channels or certain voices and certain names, certain preachers, and I will listen to them because I know they are giving me truth. That doesn't require anything of us. Um, and it also sets us up for danger because there are going to be times when those voices or those channels say things that are untrue. But if we've already accepted that everything they're giving us is true, we're not going to be able to spot the falsehood. So instead of just giving us these boundaries lines, um, you know, Christ is transforming us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is sanctifying us, changing us, so that we can navigate the world with his mind, so that we can literally think the way God would think about the different things we encounter. Yeah, I think the idea of, of separating ourselves or, or funneling ourselves into particular outlets, whether it's pastors or whether it's news or whatever, is... Uh, is a huge part of it. And, and one of the things that you had shared in uh, one of the opening chapters was the idea of humility and that we have to approach the whole process of discernment from a posture of humility, of understanding um, that, first of all, that we're fallible and that we're not going to know everything. And secondly, I think that we have to take that and we have to apply what we judge ourselves with is safe to apply to others. So if I'm not, if I'm not, infallible, if I'm going to make mistakes and be not wise, I need to realize that everybody I encounter is in the same situation. They have to be filtering. They have to show me that they're a discerning person to allow me to have more trust in them. But I still have to keep that level of discernment up because everybody we meet is going to speak a certain amount of poison because none of us speak purely. And uh, that, that idea of, of, as we get into one of my favorite chapters in the book was chapter four, and it deals with this idea of what is true. And the idea of, of approaching what I'm hearing and understanding that there's probably some falsehood in everything I hear, and I need to filter that. And, and what is it that I use to filter what I'm hearing so that I understand what is true and what is not? And this is one of my one of the things that I most appreciated about the book is that every chapter didn't just say, well, this is this, because it said, this is this, and we look to God to find it. And we, we see this in Christ. We see this in Scripture. This is our standard, not what's in my mind is not the standard. What is in the Scripture is what's the standard. Yeah, and I think um, a heavy dose of humility and reality is going to safeguard us from our own sense of superiority um, as we make decisions, but it's also going to safeguard us from cynicism. And like 
you said, um, not only are we flawed in our own decision making, but we're all just kind of trying to work through this together as all flawed human beings. So when someone is speaking something, a message to us, um, it is not wrong to test that. It is not wrong to say, okay, I received your message. Now let me think through this and test what you said. And I think in an age of celebrity, that is increasingly unlikely to happen. So what we tend to do um, is just group around our tribal leaders and just receive whatever our tribal leaders tell us. Um, and we don't doubt it. We don't question it. And then somehow, if we were to question it, it would disrupt the bonds of the tribal community. And so what happens in an age of celebrity is truth really um, becomes victim because we can't test the the tribal leader without it somehow um, being a statement of our loyalty. At the same time, we have to test our own opinion. We have to be willing for other people to apply that standard to us and not be offended when they do. Um, and I, I see so much defensiveness online in social media exchanges, in um, you know these conversations we have publicly where if someone tests what I'm saying, um, a theory or say I write an article and they come back and they say, well, actually this, this, and this is more in line with reality. At that point, I have a choice to either defend myself or risk losing truth. Because if what they're saying is true, but I feel insecure and I feel backed into a position um, I will come out swinging and trying to de defend myself. And, and to do that, I will probably propagate further untruths. So I will add um, falsehood to the conversation in a way to defend myself. But I will also lose the benefit of the truth or the reality or the facts that they're offering me. And so it's a lose-lose for everyone. And so humility puts us in a place to say, I don't know everything. You don't know everything but let's figure this out as best as we can together. So when someone else comes along with new information, I am practicing, it's hard, it's very hard, but I am practicing um, the skill of saying, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> and that's all it takes. Yeah, That is like literally all it takes. But we will do everything other than that to try to, protect our image or to protect our sense that we are right. One of the analogies from scripture that, that has always, uh, especially so as I'm getting older has, has really, um, stuck in my mind, I guess it's become something that I can visualize easily is the idea of iron sharpening iron. And as I think about that and I think about what are the different ways we can sharpen something? Well, one of the ways is we can take a hammer and we can just pound it to death and we can heat it up and we can pound it and we can heat it up and we can pound it, which is pretty much social media. Uh, <laughs> the other option is we can use another piece of iron to sharpen the iron and we can rub them against each other. But in so doing, if you're going to sharpen one of them, you're going to end up sharpening both and they both yeah. lose little pieces of themselves and little flecks of themselves as they go through that process. Uh, and, and you know, that, that idea of when I engage with somebody in a conversation, I need to be willing to 
to shave off portions of my argument that don't work. I need to be willing to give up where I'm wrong or where I'm not quite fully right and or even recognize that I have soft spots in my argument to start with and allow those to be shaped. Um, and it's it's a it is a hard thing to do because our our uh, pride and our uh, wanting to be seen by others, our vanity to a great degree, those things get in the way of the humility necessary to have a conversation with somebody where I'm the one learning and not the one teaching. Yes. And I think that's where a shared commitment to goodness or more specifically in this case to truth is essential. Mm-hmm. The shared commitment to truth, it brings both parties up. It is, um, the authority under which we both test ourselves. So instead of us seeing um, this as a conflict where there's going to be one winner and Mm -hmm. we're going to engage in battle and debate realities and facts and dueling truths, we we have to see ourselves not in competition with each other, but that the back and forth is refining and correcting both of us and we are both submitted to this larger overarching reality of uh, truth and goodness which ultimately is the character of god um that there is something greater um and more reality based than our private interpretations and i do think as our society and even the church becomes more secularized and we are not subjecting ourselves to a divine being. We're going to see an increase in foolishness and mm-hmm. in animosity and in conflict because we haven't found a common um, thing that we're pursuing. And what we end up in is we end up locked in these um, battles for supremacy. And, and I do think that's where the virtues of truth and justice um, and honor and those kind of virtues that Paul lays out in Philippians 4 become that larger reality that we are all being drawn to. And those virtues are really the character and the mind of God. Mm-hmm. And so we are being transformed into that image, not just looking to win debates or score points with each other. Own the other side. That phrase just drives me nuts online. I'm going to own the other side. It's like, really? I mean, are you trying to squish them or are you trying to convince them? Because if you're going to squish somebody, if you're going to own them, then they lose everything. And they're now they're now a piece of, of property or they're now uh, destroyed and they're not able to participate in community now. You've just, ex- by, by defeating them, you've now excommunicated them as well, rather than convincing them and pulling them over to your side and, and yeah. pointing them toward the truth. Uh, we've now shut them out. And it's almost like we've, we've shut the city gate on them once we've owned them. And that's, that's a, a not very wise decision. Uh, and it's a, a poor place to argue from even. It's it's not a um, it's certainly not God honoring, and it is, it yeah, is and it's not even honoring to the other person at all. And I think that happens a lot because we don't 
rightly recognize the goal of discernment. So even if we can begin to see discernment not as this, you know, conspiracy theory approach or this Gnostic wisdom, even if we can begin to see discernment as the evaluation of things based on virtue and the character of God, we have to understand what the point of discernment is. Mm -hmm. And the point is that it would propel us toward goodness, that it would, it is part of the redemption of the world. And what Christ is doing through the gospel is unifying all things to himself. And it is not, um, it is the unifying and the reconciling. Mm -hmm. And it's not this, um, you know, suppression of differing opinions. It is not conformity. What he is actively doing is wrestling through the brokenness that divides us from each other and divides us from himself. And when he is elevated as supreme, all of these kind of conflicts between people begin to be reconciled and then we become unified. And so if we see discernment as a tool to separate between us and them, then we're not going to reach that place of goodness. If we, if we use it as a weapon, um, we're not going to be participating in the redemption that Christ is working in this world. And so I think one, you know, just tip that if you're in an online debate with someone, it, you should be actively trying to communicate truth in a way that you will still have this person with you by the time the debate is over. Mm -hmm. You should not be seeing it as a game to win because if you lose them, you have lost because the goal of truth is to unite people in the shared reality, um, both of, you know, the lives we live on this earth, but the shared reality of God's greatness and goodness. And if you are not crafting your argument or engaging in the conversation that way, then you have missed the whole point of seeking truth in the first place. Yeah, I think the uh, you used the word there, argument, that, that much like discernment has been ripped away from its original meaning, uh, whereas discernment is, is supposed to be something that I do to evaluate what comes to me. Um, argument is, you know, if you're going to lay out an argument, you're, you're making an assertion. You're not being confrontational. Yes, you are making a statement, but that doesn't have to be confrontational to have an argument. Uh, we've turned mm -hmm. it that way. And I think the word has lost a lot in doing that. And we've, we've, I made a post this week, uh, uh, found a, a post I had made two years ago on Facebook and, and re reposted it, uh, talking about politicians who always are saying, it might've been three years ago even, who are always saying, well, I'm going to go fight for this or I'm going to go fight for that. Well, if you go in to the situation expecting a fight you're going to get a fight and when you're done all you're going to do is have a fight you're still going to have two yeah. opposing sides nobody's going to come to anything and that phraseology right. uh, as someone who's paid attention to politics for for my entire adult life plus a little bit uh, that phraseology just drives me bonkers because there's no that's not seeking the common good that's that's betraying the constitution of anything uh, rather than than seeking the common good. And uh, again, it's that idea of discernment. They're not discerning that they need to be an honorable leader. And an honorable leader doesn't bloody the people they're leading. And mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a problem. Uh, one of the... 
Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say one of the um, chap, one of the later chapters in the book, um, I try to explore the last virtue that um, Paul offers up in Philippians 4, which is sometimes translated of good report or commendable. And it's an interesting Greek word because it's actually talking about good speech. So we are not just looking for things that people talk well about, but we are actually to talk well. So yes. we are to contribute to the broader common conversation of seeking truth and seeking justice and seeking pure and lovely things. We are actively creating goodness with how we engage in the process of discernment. Um, or we can be creating further you know, confusion and further alienation with our words. So how we choose to talk and how we choose to enter into this process itself becomes part of the process. And it can either lead us to goodness and lead those around us to goodness, or it can further alienate and confuse. Yep. I, and I think one of the helpful things that you reminded me of through the book and uh, in the purity chapter in, in what is pure is the idea of the refiner's fire and that, that our work is going to be put through the refiner's fire and the things that are earthly and, and fleshly of that are going to just disappear. And it's, it's not, it is of no lasting value. And the things that are uh, remade in us in Christ's image, the things that we do that flow from that image are the things that are going to survive and last. And uh, as, as I've, as I'm very active on Twitter, as you already know, and, and a little bit on Facebook, I'm mostly on Twitter, but you know, as I interact, that's one of the things that I was challenged on really early uh, through the word. It challenged me to not be one of those accounts that people mm -hmm. speak ill of. You know, we all know those accounts. Everybody knows a handful of accounts that are just not good accounts. And, you know, they come in and they're they're speaking at you through uh, pointed glances and fingers in your face. And they're always using harsh words and they're terse and they're, there's no room for uh, any adjustment in their tone. And if you say, you know, that's not really fair to say something like that, even if you're on their side, if you question them, then they cut you off and you're done. Mm -hmm. And that's just mm -hmm. not, it is a, it is a, uh, it is someone who's trying to enforce their discernment on other people rather than pointing to the discernment that we ought to have in the word and letting the word do the discerning as we both walk before the Lord and say, Hey Lord, show us. And that's, it's such a big difference in how you approach a disagreement to, to, to point, to look at each other and say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And the other one responds the same way in return, as opposed to saying, we have a disagreement. Let's go see what the word says. It's a mm -hmm. it's a massive change in posture, uh, but at the same time, it is a helpful thing because I have learned so much by taking that approach. Uh, you know, so many in my community, uh, or not really my community, but in the the thought tradition that I grew up through, uh, would say that that I have no business reading a book that you wrote because you're female and I'm male and I shouldn't mm -hmm. have learned from you. And that's just that's nonsense. I mean, it's total nonsense to say that, that I shouldn't find, I shouldn't test the spirits. I shouldn't read it and discover and see, is the Lord speaking here? Um, 
and 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 what is good here? Uh, I, as you mentioned earlier, that that we're to test things. I I have just this week I was working through First Thessalonians, and uh, and the as it ends uh, at the end of chapter five, it says, "Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil." I mean, that's a calling us to this very discernment that you're talking about. Um, it is absolutely. That was one of the um, threads that that verse and the thought that you are going to test all things, mm-hmm. because I think we have the tendency to accept certain things without testing them and to reject certain things without testing them. We just have our boxes and we say, well, I can accept all of this that this person says, and I can read, I can naturally reject everything that person says. But what the scripture is calling us to is to test all of these things. And, um, you know, back to what you were saying about people's posture on social media, as I learned how the scripture positioned um, discernment and wisdom as part of spiritual transformation, I found myself increasingly um, less willing to divide a person's words from their behavior online. So I think sometimes we'll see this kind of phenomenon where someone's just an absolute bore online. They're just horrible. Their behavior is rude and condescending. But we'll say something like, yeah, but he's got such good ideas or she's got so many good things to say. And what's increasingly becoming attention for me is that the scripture talks about wise people, not wise you know, wisdom is embodied. It Mm -hmm. it is not something that exists in a vacuum. And so if an individual does not have the character to behave with um, truth and with justice and with purity and loveliness, I am learning to question the messages that they are sending out. Now, I'm I'm not going to say you have this knowledge that you know what their true motive is behind something. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I don't give as much weight to their words. I don't give as much credence to them as a thought leader if their lives or their posture on social media is defined by a set of vir- or a set of vices that are at complete odds with the virtues that I'm seeking um, in becoming a discerning person. So it just gives me pause and it tells me um, I don't necessarily reject everything you're saying because, again, you test all things. But I also don't feel like I, you know, part of the testing is their character and their voice and how they engage with those who disagree with them. It's really hard to stay in those fan clubs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and that kind of as you were closing up the the book, it you had a chapter about uh, it. And I'm going to kind of mangle the, the title of it, but it was really telling us that discernment provides us guidelines and, or, or guideposts, if you want to think about it, or guardrails um, to, to allow us to, to function in a range instead of in a spot. And I think that's what you just said about that, you know, when somebody shows me that their character is lacking in an area, I don't totally dismiss them. I don't turn their volume off. I don't mute and block immediately. Uh, but instead, I allow them to have a different weight. They've proven me to, to me, their gravity, whether they have a, a, a weight to them. Um, and it, I think about the weight of glory that, that shows up as we become more Christ-like, 
we develop that that weightiness about us. Uh, there's a, a gentleman I told this uh, on a previous episode. There was a gentleman in our church recently who passed away, one of our elderly members, and intellectually, he had not a lot of gravity. Uh, he just he he didn't have a deep study in in life. He didn't have uh, book learning, as we would say in the rural parts, the way that, that book learning. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that phrase a few times yes. where you're from. Uh, he wasn't that guy. He was a welder. He was uh, a, a laborer. He was a man who worked with his hands, but his life proved wisdom and his life proved continuing sanctification and a desire for Christ likeness that gave his words weight and caused me to listen to him more clearly. And there are many others who have all the degrees and have spent years, you know, same age, all the degrees, but they prove by their actions and their words that they don't have the the weight of character. They don't have the weight of Christ's likeness to draw my ear to what they're saying and to open up my ears to hear them better. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a big part of it is speak in a way that allows others and to, to behave in a way and to, to, to seek truth in a way that allows others to see that that's what my heart is and that's what my goal is so that when I do speak, that they understand that I'm not just flying off the handle. I'm, I'm reacting from training and not from reflex. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's the beauty of defining discernment as having our minds renewed and our hearts transformed to desire the things that are good in this world as God defines good because it moves discernment from this intellectual exercise to this more holistic um, ability to navigate the world with wisdom, seeking goodness. And that's available to anyone who has in humility surrendered themselves to their creator, has um, come to know word, his word, Christ, um, and is committed to being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And and working, I live in a, a working class community. I'm part of a working class church. One of the questions that I'm always struggling with is, um, it's really easy for for some of us to assume that intellectualism is spiritual growth, or reading enough books, or having these deep theological conversations equates with transformation. And if it does, then my church is left out in the cold. And all of these humble believers who are seeking God have a threshold on their grit. Mm. And so when discernment becomes more about being transformed by the nature of God, then it's available to everyone. And like you said, you you don't have to have this level of, um, I don't know, academic proficiency to be a wise person yeah (laughs) and and it kind of you you mentioned the idea of of that we're that the holistic nature of discernment it's and it's as you close the book you you mentioned discernment as a community activity and i think that is so much of it that 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 those that are wise, I don't see anywhere in scripture where those that are wise are not supposed to share it. In fact, there are entire books of the Bible that say, here, come listen to my wisdom. 
And um, it's so important to bring that community in and to be discerning in a community because there's going to be spots where I don't see what's going on. I might not even notice uh, that something isn't good and is not something I ought to strive after. I might not notice that. I might miss it. But one of my friends might notice it. And they can, mm-hmm. if we're in that walk together, they can come alongside and say, hey, you might want to test this out just a little bit and think of it, look at it from this angle instead. And that allows us to develop that discernment as a community. And I, and I one of the ways that's reflected in my life so far, uh, especially easily for me to, to, to distinguish it, is between my wife and I. And as we watch mm-hmm. TV, as we uh, encounter a book as we uh, go through Twitter or Facebook and start sharing what what the news of the day is basically, uh, and and to dis- to use each other as a sounding board and and to be open to listening to each other of well you know I don't really see it that way and together and that's part of the unity that we have as a as a married couple is that together discernment. Uh, a lot of times when I read something that looks a little fishy to me that that sounds like it's perhaps a little bit less uh, accurate as a theological take. I'll read it to her and she has what I call heresy face. And, (laughs) (laughs) and I cared, you know, when I read something like that and she gives me that face, it's like, all right, I caught it. She caught it. We're not going there. And so we know that when we encounter that person again, that person, the two of us together measured it and we both came up separately with the same discovery so we need to be careful when we encounter this again. And so that idea of discerning as a group, and, and, and it works really well in that context, I think also of, of uh, being a deacon and the way that we process some of the things that we do, it's a similar idea uh, where the collective wisdom, the group wisdom, and as we live in community, it really ought to be like that. We ought to be looking out for our, uh, the folks that we walk alongside and helping them to become more Christ-like. How often are the believers in the New Testament encouraged to exhort each other to godliness. Mm, Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons, though, that we resist community is because of the differences, though. Um, Mm -hmm. There are times when we will approach the same issue and have slightly different perspectives on it. And depending on our background or our uh, personal sensitivities, you know, one person may say, well, I think that is good. I think it meets the standards of goodness. And another person will say, well, I don't. And for this reason. And so sometimes that difference is so hard to overcome that we just decide to go it alone. Yeah. We brush each other off. And, and this isn't, you know, even talking about a conflict where we're in competition with each other. This is, I can't be with people who are not like me. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to navigate toward friends and relationships and churches that line up with my every thought. Instead of saying, you know, Christ is strong enough and the love of Christ is strong enough to keep us together rather than our, our own choices keeping us together. Um, And that was one thing that I found in this study of discernment that was very healing and helpful to me because I did come from a background that tended to um, isolate and separate from those who would not make the same choices that that we did um, within the church. So if um, 
our church made certain choices or had certain traditions, it would not fellowship with churches who had any other traditions. We were bound together in unity with those who made the same choices. Um, and recognizing that it is Christ and the love of Christ that is the thing that binds us together. And we can exist with each other despite coming to different conclusions on an issue. Mm -hmm. It's very freeing, I think, because it takes the weight off of us and it places it the weight of unity on Christ, who's the only one who can sustain that weight. Well, I think but the idea of unity is not uniformity. <laughs> and... Uh... Absolutely, uh, and also uh, part of as you were describing the the last bit of that, my mind drifted to my time in small ensembles, uh, brass quintets mm-hmm. and tuba ensembles and and quartets and things, and the I as especially as I became a more mature musician uh, in college, I had was in several groups similar to that, and as you sit down and you're performing with a small group and and teaching this to my students, to teach them that I'm going to walk out of the room, you guys need to come up with a decision. You, you disagree. Should we crescendo here or day crescendo here? It's not marked. What are you going to do? You're going to, how are you going to interpret it? You guys come to a group decision and, and learning that it's okay to have disagreements, to choose to go with one of the choices, but not to separate over it and to learn that, to, to live in that tension of, I disagree with your decision here, but I'm not going to write you off. And man, that is so hard. And it is, it is, um, it's it's a form of dying to self. It's a form of sh- it's it's showing love in dying to self to say yes, I disagree with you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna draw a line and kick you out and say you're not allowed to be here anymore. And it's it's so hard to do. And I think my my life in the arts, especially uh, with the teamwork that that's required to do helps with that. I think sports do that to a great degree. I'm not, I never really got far in team sports. It wasn't my thing. Uh, but it's a similar idea. I think, uh, that, that there are more than one ways to do things oftentimes. And when we have that disagreement, it's okay to have a little disagreement and live in that tension. It doesn't mean that you're less of a person. It just means we disagree here and having that idea of who who gives weight and worth makes all the difference in that. And, and pointing again, pointing to Christ and pointing to Christ in Christ, we disagree, but we can still walk alongside each other. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, we're approaching toward an hour. We're not somewhere in the 50 ish ballpark. Uh, And so what I'm going to do is go ahead and wrap us up. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Those of you who are the reading sorts, uh, I encourage you to go find this. It's called All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. Is there an audio version coming soon? There is, yes. Um, I believe it is on Christian Audio now, and I think it may be coming to Audible soon, or if it's not already. That is fantastic. I love that idea. So for those of you that are podcast types, go grab it, listen to it. Uh, If you'd rather do that than read it. Uh, I read it in... PDF version. I was part of the launch team, which is uh, something that I've started doing the last couple of summers. I've been on four different launch teams in the last two summers, and I really enjoy that. Uh, Being able to read a book uh, before the conversation starts about it and actually read the book with a fresh slate and then Mm. be part of discussing the book with others and saying, hey, this is a good book. Read it. 
Uh, and a, a couple of the books I wasn't real thrilled with. And this summer, the two I read, I was very, very happy with and, and enjoyed reading them and learned a lot. So uh, if, for those of you that are looking for something, I've, I've got time in the summer being a teacher. So it's something I have the extra time to do. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed that process and learning about it. And so uh, not because I was given anything, all I got was a copy of the book. Uh, but I encourage you to go find this book and read it. It will encourage you. It will teach you. And I, I pray that it will help you look into the scripture to find out more about what God is calling us to and the idea of discernment. And the, the life examples that, that Hannah brought into the book really help to frame the argument. So many books that you read, the life examples are the argument and the scripture is the frame. And this isn't that. This is the opposite. The examples actually are illustrations. The meat of the book is in looking at scripture. And that is one of the things that that I most enjoyed is that very fact is that the, it was a constant look to who is God? What has he done? What has he said? And uh, for that, I want to say thank you so much for writing a book that way. Uh, I've not read your other work yet. I'm, I've got one of them downloaded, getting ready to start it here before too long. And uh, just very grateful to have the opportunity to read this and uh, want to say thank you for coming on as well. Uh, how can folks find you online if they're so interested? Well, um, they can find me at my website, uh, sometimesalight.com. Um, that's all one word, sometimes a light, L-I-G-H-T dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter probably more than I should be. And I'm at sometimes a light there. I also um, have a Facebook page, Hannah Anderson, um, and I'm on Instagram occasionally. Um, I'm more of a word person. So pictures are more my husband's forte. Yeah. Um, I don't but, do Instagram very well. I struggle. Yeah. I, I just can't make sense out of it. Uh, yeah. It, I can't share it. That's the thing for me is I can't share. Yeah. Oh, it drives mm -hmm. me nuts. And, and for those who follow me, uh, you will notice that I either quote or interact with Hannah a lot. I find her threads, especially uh, dealing with uh, education and dealing with the difference between rural and urban life and, and dealing with uh, ministry in those contexts and thinking about people. Uh, are very insightful. They they echo a lot of what I've witnessed and grown up with. My parents are from, or my dad is from the other side of the Appalachian Mountains from where you are uh, in Eastern, he's in East, grew up in Eastern Kentucky. And okay. so I've spent a lot of time going back there and, and it's a different context. And I find that uh, your posts so often speak right to what happens in, and so many folks don't understand it because they've never been around it. And, uh, mm -hmm. it is a, it is a different world than suburb land. And it is a different world than, than city land. And, uh, I, I hope more folks pay attention to that. And that's part of being discerning is, is understanding context. And uh, that's part of why I was drawn to the book. Well, I, as an author, I can speak for many people to say, thank you for being on the launch team, because it is one thing to sit in your basement and write a book and have the conversation with yourself, but it doesn't make uh, much difference if that's the extent of it. So I am thrilled when folks um, give me the time to read what I've written and then it ignites their own thoughts and they go on to have conversations with the people in their lives. Um, that's why I do what I do is 
I really try to start conversations um, that I think we need to have. And I'd love to see it grow. And I love to see people like you take it further than I can. Well, I'm looking forward to it. My my next series, I guess I will go ahead and announce this. The next series I'm going to look at, uh, and this goes back to something that I had talked with you about uh, more than a year ago, is looking at uh, what is man. And so I'm going to, mm. to start in the Psalms with what is man that God is mindful of us and and to take some time and look at uh, the state of who we are and, and where we come from and all that, those types of things. How does that impact how we see and read the world? And uh, discernment will will be a necessary tool in that process. And uh, it's something that you do a lot of discussing about as well. And so I may may see if we can get you back on here as we go through that series. It's going to take take a while. I don't go through anything quickly. That's why this is called simmering thoughts. Uh, <laughs> we take our time. Uh, not not the hot button topics that everybody's talking about. This is probably right. the timeliest episode I've done yet. It's because the book just came out. And, uh, but it's, it's still a, a timeless topic, uh, discernment. It's something that is constant and necessary. And, uh, so, well, with that, I do want to say thank you again for being on and, uh, for, for allowing us into your world a little bit with the book and for teaching us. Uh, I hope folks go find that book and, uh, everybody have a great week. I pray that uh, God will bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. I pray it is an encouragement to you and that you will share it with others as well. Please let us know what you thought through feedback on Facebook and Twitter and also by rating and reviewing us. Please also visit us at simmeringthoughts.podbean.com where you can catch past episodes. I especially encourage you to listen to our recent series on the fruit of the spirit. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, please go to North American Mission Board find out how you can pray, how you can give, and how you can go and help those that are in need. Everybody have a great week.